The Claude 3 model family by Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. Haiku is lightning fast and cost-effective. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Learn more at anthropic.com slash Claude. Coming up on Money Beats, look at the week ahead. There is a very, very large, very important, very critical Federal Reserve meeting. But is there a meeting from another central bank that might be even more important? Plus, a new feature, our football picks. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Welcome to the Money Beat Podcast. Paul and Stephen here in the studio, joined by a head of the tape columnist, Steve Russolillo, and from Washington, D.C., economics reporter Ben Lubsdorf. Ben, how are you? I'm great. How's it going? It's going all right. And what we're doing here, folks, is our regularly scheduled look at your economic week ahead. So, uh, look, everyone, we know what the, the main... We know what the, the, the title the title match is here this week, right? But let's talk about... Uh, there's a speech for the Bank of Canada, right? That's what you're referring to. Yes, yes. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but but, but let, let, let's, you know, tease it out a little bit, right? Ben, ben is there anything... Is, are there any undercard matches that might interest people this week? Well, if you're watching the housing market, there's a few, uh, few data releases this week that might be of interest. Uh, we're getting the... NAHB uh, Home Builder Confidence Index on Monday, Housing Starts and Building Permits data on Tuesday, and on Thursday, the National Association of Realtors will be releasing its uh, existing home sales report for August. So if you're trying to gauge whether the market is cooling off or maybe it's regaining some of the momentum it had earlier this year, uh, you want to watch those. Mm, all right. And and. What do you what do you think about it? What is the state of the housing market these days? It cooled well, down a little bit over yeah. the summer, isn't that correct, Ben? Yeah, we had a slippage in uh, existing home sales, which of course is the bulk of the bulk of how home buying activity in July. It was down three point two percent, and uh, economists think that it's going to rebound, but not by much uh, in August. Might be up one point seven percent. But the, the National Association of Realtors has been warning for a while that inventory is too tight, that prices are too high, that first-time home buyers are getting uh, priced out of the market, and that eventually that was going to show up in slower pace of sales. That might be what we're starting to see. Hmm. Uh, is there a, a rates story there at all? I mean, rates, I mean, I know they're, up, they're still so low. I mean, it's just... Well, I mean, rates are really low and yeah. went even lower after Brexit. Right. The fact that the Fed has raised rates once already doesn't seem to have done anything on that. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not sure that uh, given given the state of play with the Fed right now, I'm not sure that we're going to be seeing huge moves mm -hmm. uh, in those rates that would affect the market. But, you know, we've had low rates and then lower rates, and right. the market still seems to maybe be taking a breather here. So. No, I mean, it, it is sort of interesting that rates, I think, hit their lows in July, and the market did cool down a little bit then. Right. Yeah. Uh, what else, folks? What else is on? I'm, I'm trying well, to... I, I'm yeah, trying to I'm, I know what? you're trying to extend this I'm out, but, but I mean, like, <laughs> I think I think what's interesting is you're probably focused on the Fed meeting, and uh, that's going to conclude well, on Wednesday. But there might there's another meeting that might actually be more important. There is. Or more of the focus of the market. There is. And that's happening the way it's going to happen overnight. For us. In Japan. Overnight for us. All right. Overnight, yeah, let's yeah. talk about this. Yeah, everyone knows about the Fed meeting. Uh, Bank of Japan also meeting. 
right, Ben? Bank of Japan? Right, right. So this is going to be a pretty busy Wednesday. Uh, Bank of Japan is going to be wrapping up its own two-day meeting uh, and issuing an assessment of how its three-and-a-half-year anti-deflation campaign is going. Hmm. Uh, it's not going great. I mean, obviously, yeah. growth is still pretty weak. Uh, they have not seen the results that they're hoping for. But, uh, you know, the journal has been reporting that there is this split among policymakers on what they should be doing, what the mix of policy should be going forward. Are they going to lower rates even further into negative territory? Are they going to uh, refocus on uh, asset purchases? Are they going to drop the March 2018 target date for reaching 2% on the inflation rate? Right. Uh, there's a lot of questions and a lot of attention being paid to that meeting. Right. And I, I think it's interesting. You look at you know the, the three central banks, the Fed, the ECB, the BOJ. Uh, the Fed really almost is not the one everyone's focused on because you, you kind of know which way they're going to go. Right. And also, like for the markets, I mean, if you look at it, the ECB's policies and the Bank of Japan policies were pushing foreign investors into buying treasury, which was keeping our yield curve flat, was, you know, lowering, uh, you know, interest rates here. The fact that this, you know, central banks seem to be kind of questioning or, you know, in the market's mind, at least running out of powder, I think, is why you saw the yield curve steepen. Right. Uh, and, and it's not the... And what was interesting, I think, early in the week is you saw the, the two-year wasn't moving, didn't move all that much, but it was the you know the ten-year and further out, it was sort of the long end uh, that was that moving. was moving, yeah, right. And and that really was, I think, a, a concern about what was happening in the ECB and BOJ. I, I can't believe we've gone almost five minutes into this without even talking about the Fed. It's pretty pretty impressive. It right? is pretty <laughs> impressive. But but now that I happen to mention it, Steve Russolillo, <laughs> head of the tape uh, columnist for the Wall Street Journal. The main event this week is clearly the Federal Reserve meeting, two-day policy meeting, Tuesday and Wednesday. On Wednesday afternoon uh, at 2 p.m., we will get the meeting announcement. We will get the Fed's forecasts. And at 2.30, we'll have Janet Yellen's press conference. Uh, what what can we expect from this, Ben, Steve? What are you guys looking well, I, for? Well, I, I think that if there was any hope that the Fed might possibly raise interest rates at this meeting, the market sell-off sort of put an end to that. And you see it in how, how if you look at Fed fund futures, uh, you know, there was about a, a 24, 25% chance that the Fed, that traders thought that the Fed was going to raise. This was right before the market sell-off started taking place last week. Uh, and, once the sell-off took place now, now those odds are basically cut in half. Now it's about 12%. Right. So really, it, it, it seems like it would be a, a pretty big surprise if the Fed were to raise rates here. And we know that this is a Fed that has been not known to right, really right. surprise the market at all, uh, historically over the past several years. So probably going to be status quo. But I think more importantly than whether they raise or not, because they probably won't, is the issue of how are they going to telegraph the next rate hike, which could be in December. And so you hear people saying things like, oh, there's this, this could be a, a, quote, hawkish hold. And so that would mean that the Fed would stay pat on rates, but they may really telegraph that, you know, December could actually be on the table. And so that's why th that could be one of the interpretations that yeah, you get from Wednesday. Ben, what kind, of, uh, what kind of signals do you think the Fed could give that we should be on the, the, the lookout for that would go towards that whole idea of uh, the haw hawkish hold? That's a new one, Rizzo. I haven't heard that one. I like that one. Well, it's I mean, one of, the big, one of the big venues that they have for sending a statement like that is in the summary of economic projections, the SEP. And in that famous dot plot that they have showing yeah. the appropriate level of 
the federal funds rate uh, at the end of 2016, 2017, going out to the long run. If you see those dots coalescing around one one rate hike this year, one quarter point move this year, that would be them sending a pretty strong signal that they expect to move at one of their next two meetings because they've only got two more meetings left after this one this year. And since they've shown uh, they have not moved at a meeting without a press conference, that obviously tees up December, and that's, in fact, what they did last last year when they were teeing up that first rate hike. They also sent a pretty clear signal uh, ahead of that move uh, in the October statement, in speeches. It was pretty clear that they were going to move. Uh, I'm not sure that they're going to lock themselves in uh, to that extent this time around, but it might be the dot plot might be one way that they send that signal. And but, say, but but Ben, how, how how much stock do you put into the into the dot plot? Well, I think that's clearly one of the ways that they communicate with markets and they, they communicate with the public. They are clearly putting thought into where they move those dots. Now, there's I feel like there's it's not a, that useful an exercise to sort of try to figure out which one is the yellow dot, which one is the whose dots. There's obviously not names on them. Mm-hmm. But if you see a big move up or down in the dots, that's telling you something about what they're doing. Mostly, yeah. it's been moving down. <laughs> and they, if you looked at June, that like the June one really, you know, that's when. They sort of all moved out, and the number of rate hikes sort of seemed to, you know, go from being four to maybe two, maybe one. Um, And, you know, and it really convinced the markets at that point that the Fed was going to really take a slow pace in raising rates. Well, and you want to not only watch the dots at the end of this year, but at the end of next year as well. Uh, You're going to want to see, are they, and where are they moving the terminal dot, the long-run dot? It's been moving down the last uh, couple of rounds, as officials seem to recognize that we're in a slower growth environment. Rates won't be as high as they have been historically. Uh, So that, that could come down a little more as well if they feel like, they need to get across that rates aren't going to be at 4%. Is there any changes to maybe language as well, um, you know, within the Fed statement that you're going to be looking for? Yeah, there's one thing that uh, we'll be especially looking for, which is uh, some description of the balance of risks. This is a phrase that dropped out of the statement earlier right. this year. Uh, last year, they said you know, the risk were balanced, and that's when they raised rates. Uh, now, they haven't been describing it at all, though in the last statement in July, uh, they said that near-term risks to the economic outlook have diminished, but they didn't say what, whether the risks were skewed to the upside or the downside. Uh, if they put that in, if they restore some language that says something like risks are balanced, uh, that would be a signal that they think that they're pretty close to going again, I think. It's, it's amazing, too. You know, they, I mean, for the last month or so, it seemed like the Fed was talking a lot of smack about raising rates. <laughs> Probably not going to do it next week. And the market will not care that they're not doing what they said they, yeah. As long as they do something market friendly, the market doesn't care if they, if they change course. Well, if they were really dovish and then turned and raised, oh, the data turned on, it looks good, the market would have a fit, have yeah. absolute conniption. I mean, I think what's interesting and what I'm going to be looking for is just the the whole market reaction to this because what we've seen throughout this sell-off is it it's a lot of the the bond-like stocks, the, the the big dividend payers are the ones that have been hit the hardest so far in this. Let's call it this this past week uh, of the big of the market downturn here. So, which is interesting because if you would think that it's also happened at the same time that odds of the Fed raising rates have come down. So you would think that would be a good environment for these bond-like proxies, these bond proxies, but it's actually been the opposite that's been playing out. 
And I, but I do think that has partially to do with you know what's going on overseas as well. Right. I mean, right. It, it is um, it, what one of the other interesting things that we you know we're, we've been looking at is actually the yield curve and bank stocks. Bank stocks now Wells plays a role in this because Wells is, is you know it, it, its problems have been weighing on big bank stocks. However, what you've seen is bank stocks have underperformed the market this week. And the yield curve is steepened. The yield curve steepening should be, you know, the spread between the two and 10 years is right about one, which would be the highest since May um, that it's been. But you've seen bank stocks underperform, and they should be, the yield, uh, steepening yield curve should be good for their business. The reason, you know, it probably is that the markets are focused on what the Fed's going to do and the fact that the Fed's not going to raise rates and you, the bank stocks have been tied to, you know, the, you know, what the Fed does in terms of rate um, rates for the last two years almost now. All right. Let's take a break. Quick break, folks. We'll be back on the other side. Uh, we have something something fun for you. Stay, stay with us. Hi, this is Paul Gigo, host of the Potomac Watch podcast. Join me and my colleagues every week as we dissect all of the latest happenings in Washington and on the campaign trail. Check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts and become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and the Google Play Music app. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Welcome back to the Money Beat podcast with our look at the week ahead. And folks, look, look, we're we're complete market economic geeks here uh, at the Wall Street Journal, but we have many other interests, don't we, gentlemen? We have other we have outside interests. One of them being football. So let's talk football for a couple of minutes. Uh, because we stink at prognosticating, so let's uh, let, let's at least at, the markets. Let's let's look at this week, and uh, I'm going to ask you guys to pick a couple of games, and I will tell you what game I think actually I think might be the game of the week: Bengals at the Steelers. That is a, a good interdivision early matchup. Yeah, uh, Steelers. No, no offense, Ben, but uh, the Steelers looked really good uh, in their opener against the Redskins. What do we make of this game, folks? Anybody, absolutely anybody, jump in. <laughs> uh, I'm, t- I'm taking the Steelers in this one. Got to go with the home team. Big Ben looking good, going Steelers. Yeah, that's an offense. That's a great. It's a great offense. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to bet against them. Yeah, uh, Ben. You, ben, he's still there. Yeah. Oh God, I'm, I thought uh, we lost Ben. <laughs> I'll, I, I guess I'll pick the Bengals just because uh, they did make Washington look pretty silly. So we have to have to hope for some revenge there. Yeah, you know. Um, uh, Steelers, Roethlisberger looks good. Antonio Brown lo- looks really good. But I think I'm going to go with the Bengals, too. I'm going to pick the Bengals. We're split 2-2. Two, two. Bengals so. looked really good, too, by the way, uh, in beating the Jets. So I'm going to go with the Bengals. Green made Revis Island uh, look a little bit flooded. Yeah. <laughs> Revis Island is sinking fast. Yeah. Sinking fast. Did, did, did you watch the uh, the Jets game on Twitter? Yes. What would you think? Uh, we we did a whole other segment about that on a different oh. podcast, but uh, which you can listen to, Steve Russo, if you're so interested. But uh, great, I thought I thought Twitter did a really good job on that. Let's uh, let me pick another game here, completely random: Saints at Giants. Oh, gotta go with the G Men, but you know this is gonna be fascinating—a rematch of the game last year. What was the final score oh, between the two last year? It was 52-49. Yeah, I so think one it of was. the highest scoring games. Oh. 
And uh, actually, the Journal had an interesting piece today looking at other high-scoring matchups like that when the teams when, then yeah. face each other again the next year, and they're always low-scoring the, yeah. the, the very next year. So, But I, I, I think it'll still You're be You're going to go Giants. Oh, Giants go at Giants. home, season Giants. opener. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Grocer, what do you what do you make of this? I'm one? going Patriots. <laughs> we'll oh wait, get, we'll get to the Patriots. Wait, wait it's not 2007 or eight and twelve. Um, I have to go Saints. I can never root for the Giants after the past two Super Bowls. All right, all right, Ben. What do you think of this one? You, um, yeah, I'm going to go with the Saints. You uh, with the Saints? Breeze is Breeze is good. And Breeze is Eli's not. Breeze is. Did you say Eli's not? I completely agree with that. It wasn't for New York. There's a whole other we, we, we just had another podcast. All right. Uh, I'm going to go with the Giants. I think the Giants' defense is much better. The game is up here. It's not down in New Orleans. So I think the Giants, but it's a shaky pick. I'm very nervous, very nervous about that game, as always. Uh, let's take a couple of quick ones, uh, quick other ones. Who were the Redskins? Oh, there's Cowboys at Redskins. This is an interesting matchup. Two zero and one teams. You have to start with Ben on this one. I know, we'll start with Ben. Two zero and one teams. The loser becomes zero and two, and and could just fall into a total black hole. Ben, what do you think? Cowboys, Redskins. Uh, as a lifelong uh, Washington fan, I carry the scars of that experience. But I, I gotta go. With, <laughs> I gotta go with Washington. They're not going to let the Cowboys come out of come into their place and go out with a win. I mean, without Romo, Dallas went what one one game last year. I mean, yeah, they're they're not good without Romo. Yeah, and it's not just last year; it's over the course of Romo's career. I, yeah. I don't remember the numbers, but it's it's staggering the yeah. difference, right? Uh, so yeah, I'm going Redskins also. Yeah, uh, of course, you know Tony Romo. A lot of regular seasons wins. What is what has he ever done <laughs> in the post? Like, how far have they this really gone true. with Tony Romo? This is true. <laughs> Come this on, is true. Uh, I'm going to pick the Redskins too. I think the Redskins. All right, Dolphins, Patriots. I'm sorry, this is an easy one. Patriots are going to win this game. Yeah, it's going to be the Patriots. It's a no-brainer. I'm going with the G-Man. <laughs> <laughs> no, what do you think? You think Dolphins, any competition for your Patriots? Your Tom Brady-less Patriots? Um, I, I mean, listen, the Patriots did not field a very full team last week. Right. Uh, in Arizona. To, uh, in Arizona against the Super Bowl contender. They right. won. So you'd think... Obviously, oh, they'll they'll be fine against Miami, but I I don't actually think that's the case. This is a division game. I think it'll be a tough trap um, game, trap a, a game. tough game. Yeah, it's it's going to be a tough game. Um, and you know, if there's any letdown, uh, you know, for the Patriots, you know, the Dolphins could sneak in. But what's your prediction? I'm still going Patriots. Going Patriots. I mean, I have to go Patriots. Yeah, remember the, the Patriots lost to the Dolphins last year. They've yeah. lost to the Dolphins quite a bit yeah. over the years. It's, it's no gimme. Maybe yeah. it'll no happen gimme. on Sunday. I have to say, the Jets looked very good last night. I'm worried about them. That defense <laughs> is strong. You know, and they got receivers. That that Jets team. And again, thank you, Stephen Grosser, for giving away the fact that we're recording this podcast on a Friday and then it's going out on Sunday. Uh, yeah, that Jets team looks really good. They look good. They do look good. Yeah. I think it's uh, that, that's an eleven-win team. Probably the, the the problem is they're they're good, but they're only as good as Fitzpatrick is, and Fitzpatrick is he's he's not Tom Brady, he's not Roethlisberger, he's not Eli Manning. I mean, he's not a top-flight quarterback. Not, uh, Trent Dilfer was not a top-flight quarterback. He still won a Super Bowl. The Jets' defense is not the Ravens in two thousand. I'm not saying it is, but it's a very good good defense. defense. Yeah, look. Jets are a good team. All right, uh, let's wrap it up there. Everyone, thank you for listening. Those are our picks. We will not be tracking them because all our records would be awful throughout the season. But, yeah, we'll have some fun here. So thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you during the week. For more podcasts, check us out at wsj.com.
slash podcasts. Become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and now look for us on the Google Play Music app on Android devices. The Claude 3 model family by Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. Haiku is lightning fast and cost-effective. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Learn more at anthropic.com slash Claude.